Welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Welcome to the My Divorce episode. <laughs> no, it's not really my divorce. It's it's a gay divorce in that I was not married. So our guest is someone who has been recommended to me by every gay divorce person I've ever talked to. Can you tell our audience who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, I'm Alana Chazen. I'm a divorce attorney. I generally specialize in working with clients in the LGBTQ communities. I have a private practice and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. So why LGBTQ community? So when I went to law school, I went to law school in New York, actually, but I knew I wanted to do something working with the LGBTQ community because I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. <laughs> I went, When I started, I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to be. I didn't know if it would be immigration or if it would be employment or, you know, it could have been a lot of different fields. I just found when I was in law school, I was the most interested in family law issues, especially issues around parentage and custody. Yeah, really parentage and custody were the ones I liked the most and, and domestic violence issues too. So when I finished law school, I got a fellowship to come out to California and work on developing more domestic violence legal services for low-income LGBT communities, initially in San Francisco and then in Los Angeles. So I did that for a few years. What I really found during that time was that there were a lot of people who needed help with family law legal issues from divorce to custody to parentage to prenups who didn't necessarily qualify for like really low income nonprofit service services, but also couldn't afford a LA $800 an hour divorce attorney too. And that there was a really substantial need for it. I started looking for jobs, working for firms, doing that work. And really there, there was only a couple attorneys even doing that work and none of them were hiring at the time. So I said, well, I'll just create my own firm go out on my own, do it that way. So I got some really good malpractice insurance and, you know, was brave and started my own practice about three years out of law, no, four years out of law school. And I've been doing that for about the last nine years. Also, it's interesting, even though it's, you know, I started my private practice in 2014, it's 2023, so nine years, but how much the legal landscape has changed in that time is just mind-boggling, especially in a legal sense. I mean, I think for other attorneys, right, they go into becoming, say, a criminal defense attorney. Most of the laws around criminal defense work have stayed pretty much the same in the last 10 years. There haven't been major dramatic changes. But when I started doing this work, we didn't even have same-sex marriage nationwide. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So it was a very different landscape. I remember my first two years in private practice, I did a ton of divorces for clients that I never met. I would just meet them online because they lived in places like Florida or North Carolina or Texas, and they would come to California and 
want to get married, which was legal here as of 2012, and then go home and maybe realize they didn't want to be married anymore. And they legally could not get married where they live. I mean, get divorced where they live. Because they weren't married. Well, they were married, but for Texas to give them a divorce, Texas would have to recognize their marriage, which they wouldn't do. So California had to pass this basically emergency statute saying that, because normally you have to live somewhere to be able to divorce there. So we still have the statute on the books that if you live somewhere that won't divorce you and you were married here, we'll divorce you. Wow. So I had all these clients from out of state that I was divorcing here in California, but that would only give jurisdiction to the courts for their divorce. So if they had child custody issues or property issues, there basically wasn't much recourse for them. I had a divorce I did of two gay dads out of Florida and I could get them divorced in California, but I couldn't get them child custody orders. So what did they do? They had to file a separate child custody case in Florida. They had to spend a zillion dollars on legal fees, hiring attorneys in multiple states to work together. But also in Florida, I mean, I'm from Florida and I know that they didn't allow gay adoption there. I don't remember the specifics on this. It was like 10 years ago that I did this case. I think that one of them, it was their biological children and that the other person had adopted them when they had previously lived in New York. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's wild, like the ways that all of those states did different things. And, you know, to me growing up in in Florida with my mom being longtime listeners, no, my mom, Karen S. Grainer, who is a attorney, divorce attorney at law, that I grew up knowing from her that not only could gay people not get married, but gay people could not adopt children. And I remember there were tons of cases that she would, you know, show me that not knowing that I was gay, but that she would show me like, oh, these these guys have been foster parents for these kids for like 10 years. Oh, no, the kids are adopted out to someone else. And I saw that constantly. So that was like really terrifying to me as like a little closeted queer high schooler. But I was like totally familiar with all of that stuff. And so like, When things changed, so you started your practice and then when things changed in 2015, how did that change your practice? So I stopped getting the divorcees from out of state because finally people were allowed to do it. I mean, what people don't realize is that marriage equality didn't just allow people to get married in every state. It also allowed them to get divorced in every (laughs) state, right? That was a big benefit for people who lived out of state because those cases were very legally complicated where people lived in another state and were trying to divorce here. So that was one way it changed. In California, well, all over the country, we have a lot of, in the queer community, we have a lot of these lawyers like to refer to them. We refer to them as the lesbians gone bad cases where basically lesbian couples decide, it doesn't have to be a lesbian couple, but traditionally was, decide to have a child and they weren't married. They would say, okay, let's have a kid together. They ask a friend to be a donor, go to a sperm bank, get pregnant, raise this child together. And then, you know, they break up, say the kid's four and bio mom's like, I'm a single parent. I've never wanted a parent with you. And then, you know, they run and they take the kid to some hostile jurisdiction, something like that. So I do a lot of, and I still do cases like that today, even, but most of those cases were unmarried couples. And since getting marriage equality, we see a lot less cases like that where couples aren't married. I feel like most queer 
people, even though you shouldn't technically have to be married to be able to have a kid together, I think I feel like most queer people know that your parental rights are probably going to be more protected if you're married or in a domestic partnership. So I've seen a lot more of that. I mean, the amount that my practice has gone from, I would say, just doing like in the beginning, maybe I would do prenups or some divorces to now so much of my practice is family planning, like helping people plan their families, how, you know, not just to get married, but how to do a second parent adoption or how to do parentage judgment if they're going to use like a surrogate. It, it has changed a lot in that way. Basically, all the queers are having kids now. <laughs> it's interesting to be like, oh, gay, gay people got married and then gay people are getting divorced. And I'm like, that's all right. That's all right to get divorced. I think I remember my mom, maybe I've talked about this on the show, that my mom is really harsh. And so she was talking about when I was a woman and I had a girlfriend who was a woman, a cis woman, we would, my mom was like, if you guys ever have a kid together, you better carry that kid. And I was like, what the fuck? It's a Wednesday. This is a Wendy's. Like what? And she was like, she was like, because you, your like custody will be so much easier for you. If you, and I was like, mom, we've been together like six months. (laughs) Chill the fuck out. I feel so nervous for my children one day because I'm going to be just like your mom. I'm going to be like writing their prenups and custody agreements on their second date. Yeah, she's so intense. She's. I remember when I got engaged, which by the way, the engagement broke in. So, okay, whatever. She was right. But like when I got engaged, when we were FaceTiming, like to our families, I was like, okay, watch, we're going to FaceTime my parents and I'm going to hold my hand up to show the ring and we're, let's watch her try to pretend to be happy. Cause so like we, and I'm trolling her, but like, whatever. So I'm like, mom. And I'm like, Ooh. and she's like, Oh, <laughs> like trying to pretend, like, I could tell it was like, she, God bless you. She's probably listening to this, but she, she probably would be like, no, I was happy. But she was like, Oh, cool. Like, <laughs> well, I was telling you, I listened to the episode with your mom and I was like, I love her. Yeah, she's really... <laughs> I was taking notes. <laughs> yeah, she's so intense. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. 
Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances. You can collaborate on your budget. You can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y. Slash bad money for your extended 30 day free trial. But yeah, so with like child custody stuff, are you doing like pre pre having the kid you're drawing up paperwork? Yeah, so I do a lot of sperm donor contracts. So for couples who are using a known donor as a friend, some type of friend is a donor, I draft their contracts all the time. I'll do, I mean, embryo adoption agreements for people who are, you know, a, a lot of couples say they get a bunch of embryos made, they have their kids and then, you know, they're done, but they have all these extra embryos. They sometimes donate them to other people, but you have to have contracts around that. So sperm donor agreements, embryo adoption agreements. Sometimes I do sur- I do surrogacy agreements a lot more for gay dads than anyone. And then, you know, once people have babies, we recommend that they still, even if they're married, that they do a second parent adoption. And I, I mean, I'll explain one of the reasons why, especially money-wise, why we recommend people do that, even if you're somewhere liberal like California. In California, we have a marital presumption when you have a child. And what that means is that any child who's born during a marriage is legally presumed to be a child of that marriage. I like to cite to when Kim Kardashian was married to that 
basketball player, but she was pregnant with her first kid North. She was like expediting to get that divorce done because under the marital presumption, Chris Humphreys would have been the legally presumed father of the child, even though everyone knew it was Kanye's if she didn't get that divorce done before giving birth. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's how the marital presumption works. And it's a presumption, so you can overcome it. But technically, any child born during a marriage is presumed to be the child of the two people in the marriage. And in California, that applies to same-sex couples. So any any couple, regardless of gender, that has a child, both parents automatically get a go on a birth certificate when it's born. The problem is that, so while they're protected in California, parental rights are very strong in California for queer parents. Parentage laws are not made on a federal basis. They're done on a state-to-state basis. So a birth certificate, even if both parties are on the birth certificate, a birth certificate is not considered a court order. It's considered an administrative document. So you can move to Oklahoma and Oklahoma doesn't have to recognize that birth certificate. They don't have to recognize that the two people named on there are the parents of the child. And in many states, and this is probably what your mom was referring to, the primary way to establish that you are a parent of a child of, of, as a mother is by giving birth. So if you haven't given birth to the child, the state might not recognize you as being the parent of that child. So now what we're seeing, especially now, ever since Roe v. Wade was basically overturned and the Supreme Court was saying, like kind of hinting that they want to overturn same-sex marriage, what we're seeing is these judges in certain states like Oklahoma are doing things like there's couples that are filing for divorce. And if they haven't done a second parent adoption, they're taking the non-gestational parent off of the birth certificate. And in one case, they put the sperm donor onto the birth certificate. Oh, no. They're saying, well, you should have done an adoption. So in order to ensure, I mean, most people don't who live in California don't stay in California every day for the rest of their life. People travel, people go out of state for work, they move. So we say if, if you want to make sure that your parental rights are going to be recognized across the United States, you have to adopt your own child if you're the non-gestational non-gest- parent. Would the sperm donor then be li- liable for child support? You mean like in the case in Oklahoma? Theoretically, yes. I mean, that's our, that's its own whole legal thing. And I'm obviously not barred in Oklahoma, so I'm not sure exactly how that work. But yeah, I mean, the, the government trying to establish them as a parent is trying to make them financially liable. Whoa. Can we talk about like alimony and palimony? Yes. Oh, before we go, though. So what I was going to say is uh, just to kind of wrap up the whole adoption thing is I still we still recommend that people do those adoptions because even though it's annoying to have to adopt your own kid, obviously, most people who first of all, you can do it on your own. It's not that complicated. And it's a $20 filing fee with the court. If you want an attorney to do it, you're probably looking at somewhere between one and three, four thousand dollars in legal fees, depending on the attorney, which is not an insignificant sum, but it's not a huge sum of money. Well, compared to twenty dollars, it is. Yes. But when I compare that to parentage litigation, where parents are actually litigating who the parent of a child is. The cases I was kind of referring back to where, you know, one mom says, oh, I wasn't really having a child with 
that person. I have seen many cases like that get into six and even seven figures in litigation. And that situation you're talking about, someone who could have spent $1,500 doing a second parent adoption with an attorney, and instead they end up paying $600,000 and having to sell their house, litigating a parentage decision for 10 years. Jesus Christ. I know. Yeah, I've seen that with my mom's clients. Yeah. So I always say it's just it's an annoying insurance policy for people. So can you explain, Okay, what is alimony and what is palimony and who gets it? (laughs) So they're the same thing. Right. Well, so I mean, traditionally, when they establish spousal support, the idea was, you know, back in the idea was like of the stay at home wife who usually her middle aged or older husband is like, having an affair and abandons her for their 20-year-old secretary. And they don't want the poor middle-aged wife to like be destitute, right? So they establish spousal support. I, I mean, that's really like what sort of the, who they were thinking of when they created those laws years ago. And they haven't really, in some ways they've been updated, but I don't think enough. And obviously that's very, you very rarely see that situation anymore. But yes, there's still spousal support, but the courts more and more are moving towards wanting people to be more self-sufficient and independent. So most of the time when I see spousal support nowadays, courts really prefer it to be transitionary. Oh. So if a, if a marriage is, in California is less than 10 years, it's considered a short-term marriage. So if a couple, say, has been married for six years and they divorce, the lower earning spouse may request spousal support. However, generally, the court will not award spousal support for longer than half the length of marriage. So if they were married for six years, they can get spousal support for generally up to three years in that situation. And the idea is the money is supposed to help them transition out of the marriage, right? So to be able to get a new apartment or a new home or until they can get a new job, it's supposed to be transitionary. They may even give a warning that you can get spousal support, but you better not expect to rely on it forever. And you need to, if we come back to court, you need to show you've been looking for a job. So how do they decide how much to award? So spousal support is complicated. It's There's not like a basic algebraic formula. And it's also very different than Florida. So Florida and New York are both equitable distribution states, which is a whole other sort of process than California, which is a community property state. What do those mean? So California, I don't know how many states are, cal- are community property, but I know it's the majority of states in the country are community property states. And what that means is that all assets that are acquired during your marriage from the t- day you marry until the day the parties separate is presumed to be 50-50 the couples. So that includes your income, that includes anything you might purchase, that includes your debt. All of these things are considered to be owned 50-50. And it, it doesn't matter who who it's like, people all the time are like, well, my income always went into a bank account with only my name on it. It doesn't matter. Fuck. Yeah. Or, you know, I didn't know we had 10 grand in credit card debt. I've never seen that credit card. It doesn't matter. If it was accrued during your marriage, income, assets, debt, it is it is legally presumed to be 
equitable distribution, I can't really talk to. I mean, I studied it in law school, but I've like, that's gone out of my head at this point. It's a different, it's a different, they have different formulas for awarding things. It's supposed to be more about fairness, which actually is kind of a great idea. They look more at what is the situation of both parties instead of where here in California, it doesn't matter if one person's a billionaire and the other person's going to be destitute. If there's a hundred grand in debt, it'll be 50,000 to the billionaire and 50,000 to the destitute person. Oh my God. So there are exceptions to community property. The exception, so if something's not community property, it's considered separate property. And separate property is anything you own prior to marriage, anything you purchase after you separate, And then the two big exceptions during your marriage is if you inherit something. So if someone, you know, your dad passes away and says, I'm leaving to Alana, you know, $200,000, that's mine. It's not community property. However, if he, if my dad were to pass and it says, you know, I'm leaving this to Alana and her spouse then that would be community property. But most of the time when people get inheritances, it's usually to one person. Or if you're given a gift, if you're given a gift, that's supposed to be your separate property as well. Oh my God. Okay. So it's hard to imagine when you're in the relationship everything going so south, but it really gets so angry. And I mean, largely it gets like so angry and so personal. And so like, how do you, how do you deal with realizing or like, what do you do with clients who are like, this is like, we used to be in love. This is nuts. 80% of my divorce practice, if not more, is litigation. So usually when people come to me, they are already angry at each other. They're not able, it's bad, right? They have to go to court most of the time. And I have seen people, let me tell you, people can be really vindictive and mean. Especially monetarily. Monetarily. And within family law, I think a lot of people don't think logically. They think from their emotional emotional place. Like if you were to put sort of the same money situation and say an employment scenario and and it's being a fight between them and their boss, they would probably think about it more logically. But in this scenario, it's, you know, someone who cheated on them or someone who left them or someone who abused them or, you know, there's all these, there's so many feelings wrapped up that it gets really personal and people are angry and they don't always think rationally. And a big part of my job is I have to remind clients that I'm not a therapist. I would not have made a good therapist. And my job is to give people a reality check a lot of the time. And, I, you know, it, I had one of my, this is one of my more ridiculous examples, but I had a client once who was going through a divorce and her ex was very wealthy and my client wasn't going to be left with nothing, but, she, you know, she wasn't going to be left with as much as she wanted. And she was very angry and very hurt by this whole divorce and didn't really want it. And basically decided she was going to fight tooth and nail for every single item. The couple had two, what do you call those? Kitchen appliances, the big KitchenAid, a KitchenAid. 
they, they had two of them. So obviously the suggestion was one person keeps one and the other person keeps the other one. But no, my client wanted both. And she adamantly wanted both. And she wanted me to fight for her to have both. So I did, you know, I followed her. and I, I told her that I thought she was being ridiculous. I told her that I thought she should give away the KitchenAid. But she insisted, I want you to get me that KitchenAid. So I said, fine. And I did. And I argued with the other attorney. And we sent emails back and forth. And then in turn, we had, they had other things they were fighting over. I remember records. They were fighting over records. There were fight, I mean, just like all these petty things, right? I think there was maybe a pool table. Finally, at one point, like I had to give my client notice that I was going on a vacation. And she's like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, actually, I'm going to Hawaii. And she's like, oh, that's nice. And I was like, I'm going to let you know right now I'm paying for the trip with the money you've spent me to fight over that KitchenAid and the records. I was like, you could have gone out and bought 20 new KitchenAids and a thousand records with what you have paid in legal fees so far. So I'm just letting you know that I'm going to Hawaii and I wanted to thank you for paying for it. Right. Reality check. Yeah. She gave up the KitchenAid very shortly after that. But that, I mean, people are clouded by their judgment and their anger sometimes. And that's a real problem. What do you recommend? Like, so I wasn't married, but we owned property together. And I think I felt pressured to not have too much paperwork around that. Mm. But so how do you, like, what is something you can put together if you're not married, maybe to protect yourself if you are buying something together? Yeah, you can put together, uh, it's called a cohabitation agreement. And a cohabitation agreement, it's a lot like a prenup, but for couples that are unmarried, and it's just addressing joint finances and joint property. So you might address things like how who's going to pay for the gardener? Who's going to pay for the groceries? Who's going to pay for the electric bill? Who's going to pay the property tax? You know, are you going to have a joint bank account that you both put money into that's going to pay for those things that you're going to share as joint homeowners? Or is one person going to be responsible for that? Because you can do it either way. But yeah, I recommend that people get what are called, usually referred to as cohabitation agreements, which is, it's a contract between them about how you're going to divide finances. And for the same reasons that prenups make things much cleaner and easier when you divorce, cohabitation agreement does the same thing. What do you do if somebody, you bring that up and the person doesn't want to do that? Or like, you know, if you're with someone, I've I've been with people who were like a prenup. I don't want to do a prenup or I don't want, you know, my ex very much was like, well, I don't I was like because of my mom. I was like, we get separate lawyers and we drop the prenup and they were like, can we have the same lawyer? And I was like, no, but they they were real adamant about not liking that. So what do you do? Like, how do you talk? How do you, is that a huge red flag? I think, you know, I think the thing where people want just one lawyer is not uncommon. They think, oh, this lawyer can represent both of us. The problem is you can't as a lawyer represent both of them, right? right. So you have a duty as an attorney to advocate for your client. And if they have and when you have two people doing something like a prenup, now let's say I have two clients who want to jointly adopt a child. They have the same interest there. 
But if you have two people who want a prenup, they technically have different interests going into it. So as an attorney, I cannot provide the same advice to both of them. Something that might benefit one is not going to benefit the other. So, I mean, I just explained to them. I get asked a lot, you know, if, oh, can you just do, you know, represent both of us? And I, I explain, I say, first of all, the prenup won't be valid under California law as to the issue of spousal support if you both don't have an attorney. So California law mandates that you both have attorneys if there's any sort of spousal support waiver in it. If you guys don't care about having a spousal support waiver and you still want a prenup, though, as to issues of property, I take it as a red flag now. I won't represent someone where the other person won't have an attorney, mostly because it's I'm that's facing a malpractice suit somewhere down the line, likely, and I don't want to deal with it. But if you do, your mom actually had a great suggestion and the podcast I listened with her is video taping the person not having an attorney so that you have evidence that they understood what they were signing and when they were signing it. Because I can tell you, I have challenged prenups where the other person didn't have an attorney and I've challenged them several times and usually I win. So yeah, and I think with couples... Most of the time when you explain why both people need to have their own attorney, also people are cheap, right? Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't want to pay for, I wouldn't want to pay for two attorneys. So I don't mean that in a bad way, but people are cheap. They don't want to pay for two attorneys and, and prenups are expensive. One thing that I think people don't realize as to why prenups are so expensive is because they're one of the biggest things that attorneys get sued over down the line for malpractice. Yeah. So there's a lot of family law attorneys who don't even want to do them because of the liability around them. And that's why some attorneys charge a ton of money for it. I mean, the rates that people charge are all over the place, but I have actually heard of attorneys in LA that charge things like $50,000 to draft a prenup. I do not charge anywhere near that much. (laughs) Why is there so much liability? Because then they get challenged and the person says, well, you screwed up. You didn't do my prenup right. Oh, now I'm going to end up owing this person all this money. And guess whose fault it is? The person who drafted my prenup. Mm. But what do you, I I don't think it, it was like a lot of times with friends and stuff in my own life. I don't think it's about money. I think it's about feeling like going into the marriage, feeling like you're against each other. Sure. Uh, Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's real. I don't know. I'll I'll talk about myself just personally. I never thought I was not super interested in necessarily getting married growing up. I think as like a queer person, you kind of don't think it's a big reality. It just wasn't, uh, I wasn't someone who thought I was going to like be living in the suburbs with a spouse and two kids, which is my reality now. That's not what I envisioned for myself as like a 22 year old queer kid living in Brooklyn. But then when I met my spouse and we became engaged, I also, I was already an attorney by the time we got married. I'm the number one person that tells everyone, get a prenup, get a prenup, get a prenup. I mean, at my brother's own wedding, I was like, wife was walking down the aisle and I was like, you got a prenup, right? And he was like, Alana. And Taylor, my husband, he totally expected me to ask for a prenup. And I was like, yeah, of course we're going to get a prenup. We're going to get a prenup. 
And when it came down to it at the end of the day, I was like, look, I never really wanted to get married. I never expected to be married. If I'm going to get married, I need to know I'm 110% committing to this. And I decided not to get a prenup. What is with divorce attorneys with no prenups? <laughs> but let me tell you, I totally regret it. And I don't regret it like, I think I'm going to get divorced or anything, but I do. I get stressed out by it. And Taylor, my husband will tell you that he knows that I get stressed out by it because as part of my job, right, I, I see how people get screwed over. So then, you know, how you dream about your work all the time. I dream and I'll wake up and he'll be like, I just had a dream that you divorced me and you wanted 7,500 months in spousal support and you got a townhouse in Malibu and I hate you. <laughs> He's like, that was your dream. Don't say that to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can get a post up sometimes. Yeah, you can. And I think sometimes things fall apart at the level of the prenup because you realize, oh, this other person thinks that like that. I don't know what it is. They think that you're out to get them or they think that it's some kind of like selfish thing or something like that. And then, you know, I spoke to a friend of mine who married someone very famous and was like, she was like saying she was in tears like the whole time doing the prenup because they were making it made her feel like she was a gold digger. And I mean, it's also very unromantic. It just is. It's not, it doesn't feel romantic to do. I don't know. I think that people, I also think people sometimes jump into marrying people or having kids with people too quickly without knowing them well enough sometimes. Or without knowing what could happen. Like people are like, uh, like even for me, I was like, owning property is serious, but getting married isn't serious, right? And the owning property of it all is already a problem. But then I was like, so I was saying that and I was like, oh, we should have never bought the house. We should have just gotten married. But like, because we, because then it would be like, we're renters and we don't have kids and we can just like separate. But no, that would have also been, like, I wasn't realizing how much the person is entitled to if you just get married. And I think that if you can't have those hard conversations before getting married, you shouldn't be marrying that person, right? If it makes you, if someone's that uncomfortable to have a conversation about how you're going to divide your retirement one day, you shouldn't have a kid with that person or buy property with that person because that's going to be the least of your arguments down the line. I know it's so hard because you just want to be optimistic and you, you want it, these things that are like the American dream. And, you know, you just, I don't think anybody explains the reality of entwining your life with another person. Like we're all just sold this very romantic narrative that we don't, even the most amicable divorce still has issues. Absolutely. And the thing is, they make it really easy to get married and they make it really easy, uh, very hard to get divorced. I always say if it was if it was just as hard to get married as it is to get divorced, I think the marriage rate would plummet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like, it's also just I think people see it as like a failure or something when it's actually sometimes the best thing that you could like. 
I remember my mom, when I realized like that my mom would have these women, because I worked as a secretary for her for a little bit. And these women would leave her office and like, be like, let's get drinks, let's celebrate. And I, and I was like, shouldn't they be devastated? And she was like, no, they're free. They're free. I mean, I, I always kind of thought that divorce was one of the greatest achievements of second wave feminism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It really, it really was. And I think it did more for creating equality, gender equality than almost anything because people were, tr- women particularly were treated as chattel. I mean, we, people forget that up until the seventies in some places you couldn't even get a credit card without your husband's signature. It, it provided a level of freedom. And I still think that that divorce is this extremely feminist concept, even though I'm not anti-marriage, right? I just think getting married should be harder. What kind, what do you think we should have to do before we get married? What should be the, the loop, the things that we have to jump through? I feel like people need to be forced somehow to like sit down and talk about all of the most like horrible subjects that they don't want to talk about with people, right? Like, uh, you know, talking about money and what how you plan to spend money and how you plan to what you're going to do with your money and how you're going to feel if your ex, you know, goes out and gets tons and tons of debt and all of a sudden you're liable for it. You know, if you have kids, are you both going to be in support of vaccinating them? Or are you both going, you know, how are you going to deal with like going to visit your aunt? That's a born again Baptist and, you know, is like, going to call you an abomination and your child an abomination how are you gonna feel if your child's non-binary and you know wants medical care uh, you know even with queer parents I've seen queer parents they have a tr- with a trans child and they can't agree on how to support the child like uh, they need to s- people need to be able to feel comfortable to address all these like heavy topics I think before they get married or at least not be afraid to discuss it because once it comes up as an issue, once you're married, I mean, when I see people get divorced, I would say the top two reasons I see people get divorced. It's not things like infidelity. It's anger over money and management of money or anger over different philosophies of parenting. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Cause it was infidelity for a minute. But I'm sure it was, but I, I would say that is actually a very small portion of why I see people get parenting philosophy must be huge parenting and and money management. Really? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, then ideally they would have these conversations, realize they don't match up and then just walk away, (laughs) but you can't. I know. And walk away. Right. But they don't, they don't. I mean, the best is like, they don't. And I see people who will be like, I'm so angry. My spouse hasn't worked in eight years and I just want them to get a job. And I'll be like, well, were they working when, before you got married? No. Did you want them to work before you got married? Yes. Did you tell them that? No, I just thought they would get a job eventually. So for, you know, then I'm like, so for 10 years, you've been paying all their bills, but now you want them to get a job? And then that per- guess what? That person's now stuck paying them alimony 
because the other person can show for the last 10 years they've been reliant on them. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, even like with breaking off my engagement, right? Like you have to tell everyone and you have to like, you know, so like getting divorced and like all that, these big breakups, it's like, there's so much embarrassment around it. Did you read Tori Peters book, Detransition Baby? I have it right now. I just started it. I haven't finished it yet. Well, you know that she dedicates the book to divorced women. And her whole thing is that trans women and divorced women are very similar because they've rejected traditional quote unquote womanhood. And like a premise of the book is that divorced women are actually extremely brave and they are like a type of woman who you know, is did something that was so against society. And I found that to be a really fascinating take. I think we're sold this very romantic. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a romantic, so it's easy for me to sit here and say, but like, you know, we're sold this very romantic idea. And, and in the reality of it, like you have to realize this is every day. This is like every day. And like, you can't just be like, well, I want kids and they don't want kids, but I'll convince them. Or you're you're marrying that person today. Now that anything could happen. And like in a breakup, like people really kind of show their true colors. But in my experience, and I don't know if this is going to be good advice to the people listening, but like, you know, there's a little voice in the back of your head that says this person, if if you break up or this person when you divorce is might behave a certain way. You hear, you have a little voice and you're hoping no, but you also are like, I feel like people that, and maybe people are completely blindsided, maybe, but I, I feel like there's a little voice that's like, Hey, they don't want a prenup. They don't want, you know, they're, they want to spend way more on the wedding than you do. They, you talk about not having kids, but they equivocate sometimes or like, you know, like the things that you're saying you should talk about. If you don't get the answers, you you can talk all day. If you don't get the answers you want, you still have to take action on that. Okay, so one last thing is like, how do you protect yourself? You know, like, let's say you kind of do have that voice, but you're still moving forward. How do you project? How do you protect yourself? I mean, I think before couples get married that they should definitely have some type of co-counseling session, therapy session, where they just talk about those hard issues. You know, you can get a prenup if that's, you know, something you're on the same page about. I mean, the other thing though, and coming back to that, like one of the reasons I chose not to do it was I decided I was okay with the idea that if I divorce one day, I mean, like I, you know, I work, I work too much and my spouse doesn't work, but my spouse takes care of our kids the majority of the time. I could not do that. I love my children, but if I had to spend all my time with them, I would like go completely nuts. But I also know that if we divorce, I'm going to have to pay him support. I thought a lot about that. And am I okay with that? And I am okay with it. So for me, I ultimately felt like I didn't need a prenup, right? And I think some other people might feel that way too. I think people just need to be aware of what does it really mean to marry someone and all the things that come with it, right? I think the big surprise I see for a lot of people is essentially debt. 
being liable for your spouse's debts, including debt you might not know about. And the other is people like having to share their retirement. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think my big thing is you can get off the train at any time. It might not seem like you can get off the train, but you can get off that train at any time. Yeah. And it might be worth it to do before you're in in more trouble than it's worth. People are always like, yeah. just go through with the wedding and then you can get divorced. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. So I don't know. Yeah. I thank you for coming on. I appreciate this therapy session. I know you said you're not a therapist. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. I'm too mean to be a therapist. Oh, I love it. I love my attorney now is such so mean and I love it. Like I appreciate the logic of being an attorney. You know what I mean? I, I really like it. Yeah. So where can people find you and they want, you know, more information or they want you to be their lawyer? Yeah, you can go to my website. It's www.a, like Apple, C, like cat, familylaw.com. So acfamilylaw.com. They can email me. It's alana at acfamilylaw.com. Yeah, or, you know, I guess social media, but I, I don't check it like I should. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> You're not like <laughs> the divorce lawyer on, you know, my mom said that there's someone in Florida who's like cornered the market on gay divorce. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I probably. Yeah. And my mom was like, man, that, they really, <laughs> they really cornered the market. Cause I asked her, I was like, do you do gay divorces? And she was like, nah, there's one person in Florida that does those. And I was like, wow. But, but I think that there are. There's one person in Miami and one person in Jacksonville. And I know both of them. Yeah. And my mom was like, I can't infringe on their territory. And I was like, damn. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Bad with Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz. And music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye.